Let's pray. Father, we do, uh, we do look forward tonight as you teach us, God, that, Lord, we just want to draw close to you. I thank you once again, Lord. We have uh, gifted men that you, that you anointed, that you blessed to write down these things. And God, they're not just random thoughts and they're not just rules and regulations, but God, it's your heart for us and how you feel about us and, and Lord, your encouragement. And God, I know that your heart is that we would have the best possible life we could ever live. And so I do pray you would open up our minds and, and God, that tonight would be a time where we could just really settle in and, and enjoy you and enjoy what you have for us. And that God, you would hit every single one of us right what we need. Lord, whether we need encouragement, whether we need a kick in the pants, Lord, whether we need, whether we need somebody that we're just like doing good and we need to do gooder, God. We, we just thank you for your faithfulness. And pray again that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you remember, we've been kind of looking at the new man versus the old man. You take this off, you put this on, and that we understand again that, listen, holiness does not come just by osmosis. You're not going to drift into holiness. You, you don't even drift into sin. You purposely go there. So listen, man, if you want to be holy, you've got to put some effort into it. You have to decide, this is what I'm going to do. So Paul has been talking about that. Now, what he's been talking about mostly is our relationship and our sin toward one another. And that we need to get along, right? We need to not hold bitterness, not hold grudges. We need to be tenderhearted towards one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. And he's kind of been on that. Now tonight, he's still talking about us, but now he's going to talk about us and our, our sins. And something that I want to emphasize, and it always bothers me, is especially when you hit a section like this, I don't want you to think about somebody else. I don't want you to think about that person, oh, they should have been here tonight. They really needed that. I want you to think about you. What is going on in your life? What is going on in your heart? Listen, when God gives us these things, he's not giving us a list of things that we can hold others accountable to. He's given us a list of things that we can hold ourselves accountable to, that we can be changed. And, and listen, again, I said it a couple weeks ago, I think, I think in the church in America, we've lost this whole idea of holiness. And what does it mean to really be people who want to be holy before their God? And that's what Paul is encouraging us. So I want us to keep that in mind. And well, you know, we're going to do verse 1 of chapter 5, but let's do verse 32 because it kind of flows into that. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Now listen what he's saying. He's telling you and I, we need to maybe change our direction. I believe... I believe one of the greatest temptations in America is to be molded and formed into our culture and allowing our culture to define what is right, what is wrong, what direction we should go, what should we do. And that's a real danger. And here's what he's saying. He's not telling us to imitate, imitate culture. What is he saying? Imitate God. And I love the idea, listen to what Paul says. Again, he says, he says, hey, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. 
Don't you love the idea that we're God's children? And hey, if you've had children, you kind of know children tend to imitate their parents, don't they? It's fun to sometimes watch, especially, especially like little guys and with their dads. And, you know, their dads will stand a certain way and you'll watch a little guy behind them, like a Justin, right? Trying to be like dad. And we need to be like our dad. We need to have that kind of, that kind of childlike faith coming to God and saying, man, I want to imitate you. I want to do what you do in our world. I want to be that person. And yet we have this culture around us that's kind of just like closing us in and, and trying to mold us and shape us. And we've got to fight against that. And the problem I see is a lot of us, we don't want to fight against it. We want to like toy with it. I've said it in the past this way. A lot of us, we think we can take sin and the culture that comes at us and we think we can put it right here and pet it. Be nice. I got you under control. No, you don't. I'm sure you heard this story about the little boy with his mom made cookies, put the cookies in a cookie jar. Pretty soon she heard the cookie jar. And she said, what are you doing? And he said, I just had my hand in the cookie jar resisting temptation. That's <laughs> what a lot of us are doing, man. Our hands are in the cookie jar. And we're going, listen, and here's what we do. Instead of drawing close to God, we draw close to the world, and here's what we think. I can get as close to the world without sinning, and I'll be okay. It's gonna stain you, man. Get your hand out of that cookie jar. And be careful, and start imitating God. I love that idea of just, you know, and, and how are you gonna imitate him? Let's think about that. Practically, how can I do that? The only way practically I can do that is by getting in his word because that's the only way I'm gonna know him. He's chosen to reveal himself through his word and especially through Jesus Christ as I read the gospels. But listen, I have to know him to imitate him. So I gotta be in his word and I gotta, then I gotta look at his word and you know, one of my prayers almost every morning is, God, let me have your heart in my heart. Let me have your heart for my wife. Let me have your heart for our community. Let me have your heart for this church. And if we, listen, if we do that, we start imitating him. And then here's the cool thing, we, we start walking like him, but he says, and walk in love. Now listen, and, and you know, the whole world's about love, right? Everybody's about love. Tolerant people are about love. Intolerant people are about love. You know, the Beatles were about love. Everybody's about love, right? It's all about love. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the agape love of God towards sinners. Listen to what he says. He says, walk in love as Christ has also, as Christ also has loved and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So he's letting you and I know we need to walk in love and this love, don't get it defined by the world or the Beatles or whoever. Get your love defined by Christ. And again, in verse 32, he says, man, we need to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, being close to one another. I believe, listen, I believe to the degree you forgive is to the degree you really understand God's love. Because, man, some of us, we want to hold grudges, man. We want to be that person, man, do you know what they did to me? That's why I sit on the other side of the church. 
I used to sit on that side. I don't sit over there anymore. And we hold that grudge. Stop it. Do you remember the lady? I love the parable. It was one of the, actually it was one of the first studies I ever did in Bible college. I got to teach once. And I did it on a parable. Remember the lady who came to Simon's house? Remember Jesus was at Simon's house? And the hooker came in? You guys remember? I, I use blunt terms so we understand. Right? The hooker came in. Remember the hooker came in and sat down and she started weeping and her tears went on his feet and then she took her hair and, and wiped that. And remember Simon? He was aghast. Number one, who let her in here? Number two, how dare you, Jesus, allow her to touch you? Remember he was all freaked out and he told Jesus. You remember what Jesus told him? Remember he told him another parable. In the parable, he told another parable. And here's what he said. He says, hey, Simon, suppose a guy owes $5 million and another guy owes 50 bucks. And the person that he owes it to forgives both of them. Which one's going to love him more? Simon goes, duh, right? But listen, it's not so much you love God more because you're forgiven more. It's the fact that you understand God's forgiveness. And sometimes as Christians, we drift away from that. And we kind of think that we deserve God's forgiveness rather than sitting in it and basking in it and loving it. And God forgave me, a sinner. God was willing when I was still in my sin, fighting against him to forgive me. And when you keep that near to your heart, guess what you can do? You can forgive others. If God can forgive you for what you've done, or I guess I should say me for what I've done, why couldn't I forgive other people? No one has done the things to me that I did to my God. They haven't. And so, listen, as he says, we need to be imitators. We need to walk in love as Christ also walked in love. He's saying, and he gave himself up. Listen, we need to be those people sacrificially loving others. Are you doing that? You see, the first part of this chapter always busts me because I can't say, I can't say that I'm really great at sacrificially loving people. I would love to stand up here and tell you that, but then I would be lying and I'd have to deal with that whole issue and, and go through that. Do you sacrificially love? And by that, here's the thing, you've got to sacrificially, and I think again, the biggest step, you've got to sacrificially forgive people. Jesus forgave you when you were not worthy. I love, some people say, oh, forgive them when they ask for it. Stop it. Stop it. All you're doing is hurting yourself. Forgive them. Get it out. Get out from under it. You know, I think one of the greatest freedoms that we have in Christ is the ability to forgive other people. Because I've found unforgiveness, the only person that unforgiveness really hurts is the person who's unforgiving. And it hems you in and puts you in jail and you're locked in. So listen, man, he, he's saying we need to do that. And then, and then I love this part. He says, he says who, who uh, gave himself uh, for us an offering and a sacrifice for God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Whenever I think of that, I think it's 2 Corinthians, right? In 2 Corinthians, he says that you and I are the aroma of Christ to the world. And I believe that with all my heart, man. I believe when we go places, if we're really walking with Jesus, I believe we got that fragrance going. And some people are going, oh, that smells so good. 
Some people are gonna go, that stinks, right? Not everybody likes the aroma of Christ. And then, and then we choose to get all uptight about that and you need to know, listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And a lot of us were not faithful in sharing our faith and sharing with others because we're afraid of rejection. You know, I guess I'm a person, I've got rejected a lot, so it doesn't bother me. You know, you do it a few times, you get used to getting rejected, you go, it's kind of like, you know, in school, the first F is a biggie. After that, they kind of become normal. <laughs> kind of get used to them, you don't freak out about it so much. I remember there was a girl that I was dating before Gaynell, and she got an F and she had a meltdown. And I go, just chill out. If you only got as many Fs as I did, you would not be all freaked out about this. You need to like chill out. The world's not ending. It'll be okay. Well, see, sometimes as Christians, we're that same way. I don't want to share because what if somebody rejects me? It's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. And you can get used to it. So be imitators and be those people that you have that fragrance. And don't you, don't you really wish there was a real odor that you could give off, a Jesus odor, not B.O., but Jesus odor. And you could like, just go to places and it would just emanate through the place and, and people would know, hey, there's a Christian. And he's saying that's what we need to be doing. So listen, man, and Jesus was that, that sweet-smelling aroma for God. So now, now listen, he kind of lays that out. This is what we need to do. Now he's going to get into culture. And I believe he's gonna talk about their culture, which completely relates to our culture. Once again, I wanna remind us, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus at the time was an immoral, gross city. I know, I know Corinthians always gets the, you know, the top billing is the grossest of all grossest of all grosses and, uh, 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 of cities. But in Ephesus, remember, they had that, that, that whole temple to Diana was a multi-breasted God that they had tons of prostitutes, female and male prostitutes, all around that temple. And then just recently I learned studying, they also had a, a quarter mile radius around that temple that was a free zone, like, like the cities of refuge. It was a refuge place where if you committed a crime and you got within that circle, they could not do anything to you. So imagine who was in that circle closest to that temple. The sweetest, best people in the entire universe. Yeah, imagine, man, you had murderers and thieves and all of that and prostitution. So just imagine what was going on. And here's what Paul's doing. Now I got to write to that church and let them know, don't let that influence you. That's tough. That's, that was their world. That's where they were living. And, and so he's going to let them know, hey, do not be imitators of that. So imitate God. Now here's what's going on. Look at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Here's what he's saying, man. He just brought up a couple things. And what is he bringing up? Bottom line, he's bringing up sexual sin. When he's caught him out. You know, it's kind of funny. Years ago, there was a, there was a person who didn't like any translation of the Bible that had new in it like the New King James or the New International Version or the New American Standard Version, they wrote a whole book. There was a book out, and it was called The New Age Translations. And she said all the ones with new in the title were New Age. And one of the arguments always cracked me up. Here's what she would say. She would say, in the new translations, they say sexual immorality. 
And then she would take that culturally. What does that mean culturally? And every time you read it, you would have to explain sexual immorality. Now, I kind of understood what she was saying, but I got to be really honest, man. Every time I read about fornicating, what college kid in their 20s, you go stop fornicating, they're going to go forna what? It's not like that. they don't use that term. What term do they use? So, so either way, here's the thing. Either way, you got to explain it, right? What is fornication? When he brings that up, listen, Paul brings that up. He says fornication and all uncleanness. Here's what he's talking about. Sexual sins. And this is any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage, period. And marriage is one woman to one man, according to the Bible. That's what he's talking about. And he says, listen, man, you guys stay away from that. Were they tempted? Absolutely. If you think about that temple area around them and all the debauchery and the grossness going on, sure they were tempted. You know, some of us go, but now, you know, and it was funny reading commentaries, they're going, now we have television, we have this and we have that. How many of us live next to a temple with, you know, 500 prostitutes hanging out and a bunch of debauched people running around the bottom of it? Not many of us, right? Some of you are smiling. You're thinking, you haven't been to my neighborhood. <laughs> but think about it. Think about what they were fighting. Listen, our temptations might be a little bit, come to us in a little bit different form but they're the same. And notice he says, man, don't even name that. Now, I did just a small list of some places where they list vices in the Bible. It's kind of hard to find that. It's always cracking up. People go, I don't know that the Bible says that. So there you go. You can take a picture of that and show it to those people. This is where the Bible says all of the vices that affect us, and most of these are sexual. Sexual sins, why? Because we were created as sexual beings. God made us that way. And, you know, I want to emphasize, God is not anti-sex. God is anti-perversion of sex. Doesn't he say in Hebrews, we're going to study that in a little bit, in Hebrews chapter, chapter 13, doesn't he say something about how great marriage is? and keep the marriage bed pure, he, he gives us that. Listen, so God's not, it's, it always cracks me up when some Christians, they get, they get all of this like uptightness going on, right? And they go, man, God does not like sex. God made sex. And God made sex to be pleasurable and to be a good thing. I'm sorry if you have kids in here, you can do the explaining later. But God made it that way, and listen, he designed us that way. And it bothers me when, when sometimes we get this, you know, and, and excuse me if I'm stepping on toes, this prudish attitude that, you know, some, somehow sexual activity is some gross thing. No, it's not. It's a good thing when it's done in the bonds of marriage. Outside of that, it gets really gross. And it gets extremely, listen carefully, extremely destructive. It destroys lives. It destroys people. And we need to understand that. Why did God make this parameter? And like I like to say, why did he make these lanes for us to drive in? You ever drive bumper cars? Right? And you stay in the lane. Why did God do that? Because he knows what's the absolute best for us. And he says, man, I want you to stay in the lane. Stay in here and you can have the best possible life. And what is our natural tendency? Jump the lane, right? Let me get out there. Let me see if he's really true. And some of us have experienced that and we know firsthand God was right. 
And we repent and we have to change of that. And that's a good thing. But listen, man, he lists this thing. Now, I did a little bit of research. Just uh, I was just curious. I had an older study and, and how much things have changed. And actually, they haven't changed a lot from in the 90s to 2018. In 2018, the medium partners for men by the age of 18 is seven. For women, it's two. This is kind of sad. 15% of the wives interviewed had extramarital sex, 24.5% of men. 13.9% of men surveyed said they identify with the LGBTQ+, whereas 5.1% of the women, more women are willing to admit they identify with that, and then 0.6% say they're transgender. That's going on in our world. Listen, and I think it was going on somewhat in their world. I think the homosexuality and stuff was going on, maybe not the transgender as much because of, of uh, resources and stuff. But listen, that's going on. That's our world. And our world has taken this thing that God has given us, a beautiful thing, and perverted it. They've taken this thing that is actually a great expression even of unconditional love that a man can have for a woman, a woman can have for a man, and perverted it and made it something that's self-gratifying. Listen as he says this. He says, he says fornication and all uncleanness. That's kind of mushing it all together. But then he says this, or covetousness. What's covetousness about? Covetousness is about this, self-gratification. I want to gratify myself. I don't care about you. I don't care how it affects you. All I care about is me. And that's what a lot of our world has turned into. And you and I have to make decisions. Now, here's the big one. Are we going to get our hand out of the cookie jar? Or are we going to leave it in? How much are we going to be willing to be tempted by that? And you've got to make some decisions in your life. I think we all do. We have to make decisions of where I go, what I watch, what I let my eye gate, what I let my ear gate, you know? And hey, I'm not, I'm not up here saying, here's what you need to do. You need to decide, what am I going to do to keep myself? What does he say? He says, I don't even want you to mention this stuff, right? He says, it's not even, not, let it not even be named among you as it's fitting for the saints. Don't let it be there. You know what breaks my heart? How many pastors have fallen? How many men that were high-ranking even, if you, want to, if you want to use that term, very popular men, Christianity-wise, how many of them have blown it? And they crush people. I hear people say, I can't trust a pastor because my last pastor, yada, yada, yada. Well, that was your pastor. That was, you, don't, you don't throw them all out. And we have, we've all read the news, we've seen the things where, where they do it. Why, does a, why would a pastor get caught up in that? Here's why. His hand's in the cookie jar. You keep your hand in that cookie jar. Man, why do you do that? Do you ever, here's what I want, here's what I want to ring in our heads. Get my hand out of the cookie jar. Just make that something that you're gonna make a priority in your life, you're not gonna do. Oh, one thing I didn't bring up that, that is kind of mind-boggling, the porn industry. It was really weird today, I have to tell all of you this so I won't get in trouble. I Googled porn industry, just so you know. If you look on my computer, that's what I did. You know, I'm thinking, as I'm typing it, I'm thinking, I am not really doing this, am I? 
And then I'm waiting for someone to come in my office and see porn industry. Do you realize the porn industry is an $8 billion a year industry in our country? That's more than movies, box office movies, more than concerts, more than anything else. Listen, that's got to tell us something. That is a great big cookie jar. Get rid of that cookie jar. Get rid of it. And we need to understand. And, and one thing I was amazed with that I, I, I thought, this is just really weird talking about this. I thought, I thought it would be more internet porn versus other porn. But other porn is a bigger industry even than internet. Internet's not the biggest industry. I thought it would be. So anyway, so if you're, hey, if you're tempted with internet porn, here's what you do. Get rid of your internet. Get rid of it. Do away with it. If you can't watch a television show without being tempted and drawn in, stop watching it. And some people go, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Get your hand out of the cookie jar. Leave the cookies alone and get out of there. Don't tempt yourself. I believe, again, what he's talking about here is ways we tempt ourselves. So, so listen, he says, don't do that. Now, he continues on in verse 4. I should have read verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Here's what he's saying. When he's talking about this, you know, some people get uptight. Uh, you know, obviously filthy talking, we understand, even foolish talking. Foolish talking is kind of, you get in a crowd and somebody says something sexual and somebody else says something sexual or they turn things into sexual things. And when he's talking about coarse jesting, he's not talking about giving each other a hard time. He's talking about taking things that are, are good and normal and perverting them into some kind of sexual innuendos and going that direction. That's what he's talking about. Because I've had people say, you know, you shouldn't make fun of each other. If you've ever been to one of our staff meetings, that is like, you've got to be tough. If you're a newcomer, you've got to be tough coming in there. Because we're going to make fun of you. Because we made fun of each other and we're done. So when we get new people, it's like, oh boy. Listen, and that's, listen, I think Christians should laugh and have a good time. Now, when, when we're talking about, I'm not talking about putting people down and et cetera. That's not a good thing. But it's okay, Christian, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to have a good time. I, it bothers me when I see some Christians like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't joke. Really? I shouldn't joke? Pastor Jack... That's all I need to say, right? All I need to do is say his name and all of you go, yep. If we told Pastor Jack he couldn't joke around, we would lose him. We would be doing a memorial service. Guess who he is? And so we're not talking about that. We're talking about making things immoral and gross. I always hate it. I've shared with you before. I hate it when I interact and, you know, maybe sometimes I'm flying and I might be flying by myself and somebody sits next to me and, and then you tell them, oh, I'm a pastor. And then they get all freaked out, man. They get all uptight. And did I curse? <laughs> Playing golf. Guys, we usually, you play a few holes and they're cursing and throwing clubs and doing stuff and you're just going along, praise the Lord, you know, and doing, <laughs> and then they, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. <gasps> I'm sorry. 
Why are you apologizing to me? You've offended God, holy God. You know, why are you worried about me? So listen, but you and I need to know, he's not talking about, he's not, again, he's not talking about us having fun. He's talking about us being gross. And don't join in. So listen, man, he says, he says, so don't let that filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. Listen, they're not fitting but listen to what he says, but rather give thanks. Have you ever done that when somebody's being kind of gross? Have you ever been in a crowd and somebody tells an off-color joke? Here's what you need to start doing. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And they're gonna like look at you like, what are you doing? I'm giving thanks. Instead of doing what you're doing, I'm gonna give thanks. And I'm gonna thank my God for my salvation. And you do that, now you'll be called a freak. Right? People are not going to like that, obviously. They're not going to go, oh, could you tell me more? They're probably going to say, I don't want to be around you anymore. But listen, he says, instead of getting involved in that, instead of getting sucked into that, give thanks. And I think we could use that in a lot of areas in our life. How about, how about if we're watching some program and something happens? How about you turn the volume down, turn the, the thing off, and you just start giving thanks to the Lord? How about when you get really bad news? Start giving thanks to the Lord. Do you know how that changes, how that changes everything as we start giving thanks to him? And listen, I'm not telling you to thank him. If you're, if you're in a horrible situation, it always cracks me up. Some Christians act like, you know, as a truck is running over you, a big semi, you're supposed to go, oh, thank you for the semi, Jesus. I'm glad it's going over me. No, you're thanking him for your salvation. You're thanking him that you can know him. So I'm not telling you to make light of, of your situation. I'm telling you, start giving thanks. And especially, here's what I found in my life. When I'm tempted, I start giving thanks. The temptation starts fleeing away. Get your hand out of the cookie jar. Start giving. <laughs> Somebody's buying coffee. Whoever that is, you have to buy coffee for your, don't look over at them. You guys are rude. Now they're embarrassed. Whoever that was, you must be new because our policy is if your phone goes off, you have to buy coffee for that whole row. I just thought I'd inform you. So you're in trouble now. And now someone's pointing. Quit pointing at people. You know what? I'm giving you a pass. You don't have to buy coffee for a whole row because these guys are being rude. You, we need to go back to chapter four, as a matter of fact. Okay, so here we are. Give thanks. Verse five. For this you know. You know what? Here's a place you might want to underline because this is intense. Here's one of the, I think one of the most intense places when you read about Paul. Listen to what he says. For this you know. What does that mean? You know, right? For this you know, listen to what he says, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What do you know? That's intense. You hear what he just said? Those people have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. And some people go, I don't think that's what he meant. I think that's absolutely what he meant. When he says, for this you know, he's given us a certainty here. This is the thing that you know. And you know that those people who habitually do those things. Listen carefully. He's not talking about the person who stumbles. We all stumble into sin because we don't get our hand out of the cookie jar. And so we're our hands in there and we get busted and we get caught and it drags us in. 
Every one of us in here, I'm not saying every one of us have sexual sin, but every one of us in here, we sin and we fall into it. Oh, and by the way, while we're talking about sexual sin, why is it that we always pick on homosexuals more than heterosexuals? I just thought I'd throw that out there, put that in your head. Christian, any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage is sin. I don't care what color, what flavor it is. So listen, here's what he's saying. He's saying those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. For this you know. Now again, he can't be talking, listen, he can't be talking. If we stumble, he's talking about people who don't care. I think, of, I think of some of the things I've read about pastors who do not repent and they get busted in some kind of weird sexual perversion and they never repent. I think, man, you probably ought to read Ephesians chapter, chapter five, verse six and kind of commit it to memory. Or how about these? Listen, some people go, well, you know, that's just Ephesians. Here's some more for you. First Corinthians chapter six, Galatians chapter five, first John chapter three. It's pretty obvious if you are going to be committed to sexual sin, you are not gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a promise from God. Now, none of us wanna claim that promise, but that's what he's saying. We need to understand that, and we need to be people, man. That's why he's saying stay away from it, don't get close to it. He says you're not gonna have any inheritance in the kingdom of God or Christ and God. So listen carefully, listen to what he says. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Do you hear what he's saying? Don't let that person come in and say, oh, it's okay. Or how about this? Don't let your own head tell you that. Here's what happens with some people. Some people go down this road. Here's what they do. Jesus says that even if you look at someone with the opposite sex, with them, some, some lust, that you've already committed adultery, right? Doesn't Jesus say that? And so some people say this. Well, I've looked, so now I might as well do it. And now I'm doing it, I might as well do it a bunch. And they get trapped in, that, that's your own head. Jesus didn't give us that so that we could have an out. Jesus is letting us know, guard your eye gates. Guard your ear gates. Set up guards. Try and let that not happen. Don't look. Hey, if you're going to look at somebody and it's going to tempt you, don't look. Years ago, George Verwer, that, that book that I, I bring up that's out of print, that I love doing that. George Verwer said this, and remember when he said that, no, he didn't say it in a book, he said it in a teaching I heard. And here's what he said, if you are tempted by someone of the opposite sex, and I think especially, listen, in the church, if someone of the opposite sex kind of attracts you, here's what you need to do. Do this, try this. Ask God to make them the most hideous monster you have ever seen. Just say, God, just make them that monster. And every time I see them, I just want to see that monster, so I run. You know what you won't do? You won't fall into the temptation. Because here's what I found. He's faithful to do that. And then you run. And then, hey, you know what? And some people go, well, I don't want to do that. They might think I don't like them. Wouldn't you rather them think you don't like them than to fall into temptation? Get your hand out of the cookie jar. Wouldn't you rather do that? Of course we should. Do you hear what he's saying, man? We need, we need to do this. We need to put these things in our lives and we need to be careful. I remember when I went to the Bible college. Before I went to the Bible college, we were doing, my wife and I had been doing pottery for quite a while. 
And I didn't wear any jewelry because you can't wear jewelry and do pottery. So I didn't wear a wedding ring. And I remember when I went to the college, I got my wedding ring out. And I said, I probably should wear this because Gaynell didn't go with me. I was by myself. And I said, I probably should wear this. And she goes, really? You haven't worn that in like six years, seven years. And I go, I know, but I should wear it. And then when I got to the college, I made it a point because there was a bunch of younger girls there. And I wouldn't talk to them. I wouldn't even barely tell them hi. And then I got worried towards the end, I got worried and I thought, well, man, these girls must think I'm a jerk. And so a couple of them came up one time in line, it was my last semester, and they came up and they go, we so appreciate the way you conduct yourself as a married person, making sure that there's no one or no gossip about you and other saints, we need to make up our mind to do that. So what if they think you're a jerk? Who cares? And he says, man, we gotta, we gotta be people who we're going to do that. So let no one deceive you. Hey, don't let people come in with these empty words telling you it's gonna be okay. Why? For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That kind of activity brings judgment. So we have learned in Ephesians lately, those of you who have been coming, we need to be people who were concerned about our relationships with others. We need to be people who were about being unity, not, not you know, separating each other into groups, whether it's ethnic or race or, or social. We need to come together. We need to be unified. We need to care about each other. We need to be people who are tenderhearted. I love that whole idea. Forgiving one another. Hey, so what if somebody in the church stepped on your toes? Who cares? You walk on the bottoms, let them walk on the tops. It's okay. So who cares? Get over it. It's not all, always all about you. And then you know what? Let's be people who, and this is my biggest prayer for myself and for us. Let's be some holy people. Righteous people, not self-righteous. See, Jesus was righteous, wasn't he? He was holy. And what, what was it about him that made people become attracted to him? It was that holiness, that righteousness. Don't tell me that doesn't work today. People try and say, oh, people, no. We're still dealing with humans. And we're dealing with fallen humans. And again, I just suspect in the next few months, church, we're gonna have the opportunity to imitate God to the world. Let's, let's be light, let's be that aroma of Christ. And let's go out there, listen, and let people know, this is what my God can do with a person. And you might even tell somebody, I know what you're doing, and I know what you're like, but I know that my God can do something with that. All you gotta do is give your heart to him. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you tonight, God, just for your faithfulness. And I, I thank you as we think about your word and think about what we've read and, and just the challenge for all of us. I pray, Lord, that as believers, we wouldn't just, we wouldn't just like put this in the back of our minds and, and say, man, I'm gonna deal with it later or, or whatever. God, I pray that there would be an impact in our lives 
But greater than that, God, I pray we, there would be an impact in our world with those that we're close to, that we socialize with, and Lord, that you would shine brightly. Take us, I look around this room, and man, we're from a lot of different places. We're kind of a ragtag bunch of, uh, of critters that you've brought together. Use us, God. Use us in a way that we can't even imagine tonight to impact this world for you. And I pray that tonight we would make that, that, that covenant with you, if you will. We are going to get our hand out of the cookie jar. And our, our trouble may not be sexual, but something else. We're gonna get our hand out of the cookie jar and we're gonna stay far away from it. As a matter of fact, we're not even go, gonna go in the kitchen. We're gonna stay away and we're gonna draw near to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.